Hey guys, Justin Brock here back at it again with another episode of the Insurance Gurus podcast. And today we have James Whitley with us. Uh, I've been seeing James a lot of places. I'm sure several of you have. He's with a, a group called SLS that's growing like a California wildfire. I don't know if that's a politically correct statement. Uh, either way, they grow fast and so does SLS. So I uh, want to bring him on, tell his backstory and how he got into insurance and uh, and see if we can pick up a couple of golden uh, nuggets. I don't like that word nuggets. I don't have to find another one word, but a, little, a couple of little uh, pieces of gold we're going to find. Not fool's gold, but real gold. We're going to dig for some. So thank you so much for being here, James. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So James, I, I asked you for a quick bio and I get this a lot. You wrote, uh, you wrote, it's really weird writing a bio about yourself. So here's some, here's the high notes. And yeah. I appreciate that because I've, I've had to write a bio about myself because people kept asking it for it. And um, I'm a little bit of a narrative writer. So Bradley read my uh, bio that I wrote about myself on his podcast. And he's like, wow, this sounds like somebody really like some, some professional writer wrote it. And I was like, well, thanks. I wrote it. <laughs> so it's really awkward saying that you wrote a bio, um, but you did give us the high notes. So your high notes, um, you know, are, are saying, you know, you, you were in a fraternity, you wanted to do the whole wall street thing, which I get. There's some, you know, I, every time I go to New York, I go and stay down in the Wall Street district. And it's just something yeah. about the idea of it and, you know, being there and like the heartbeat of the economy, you know, uh, feeling that. So big, I, I, big I, cities and money and all the movies and, you know, yeah. Wall Street was a great movie. And yeah, that I was all it. about it. Yeah. Wall Street, uh, the big short, you know, that, that, that I love that stuff. So, so I get it. If I was starting all over and I didn't know what I know now, uh, I, I could see like I could see doing that. Um, but you're one of your fraternity brothers was the son of the owner of SLS and uh, his dad, the owner, uh, convinced you to try out SLS. And here we are. So tell us a little bit about elaborate on that. Like what what made you say, screw what I'm thinking? I'm going to try that. And did I mean, I guess you just fell in love with it or what what happened? Well, I don't think anybody falls no offense to the audience. I don't think anybody falls in love with insurance, right? So I didn't grow up wanting to be an insurance agent, but uh, I went to University of Florida, was a finance major. Um, so graduated in 2008. Um, and so the big short had not come out yet. Uh, so the big short was about the year I graduated. And um, so I had done an internship with uh, Bear Stearns in New York and I loved it. And I just loved, you know, wearing a suit every day and the rush of the whole thing. By the time I graduated, um, Bear Stearns didn't exist anymore, right? And the guys that, that had hired me didn't have jobs anymore. And so thank goodness I didn't sign a lease on a place in New York. I didn't have an apartment or anything. Um, and and so it was just, that was the time we were in. And so, you know, I, I moved back home with my parents, took my tail between my legs. I got student loans, all of a sudden payments start on those. And, you know, all this stuff that we all get preached as kids. I got to go to school and get a good job. And so I always laugh. I don't even have it in my background anymore. My diploma is over here. I say that the frame's worth more than the piece of paper itself. Yeah. Um, but uh, so bounced around. I got my real estate license. I was working at Merrill Lynch for a while. Um, hospitality, did everything I could, but the mm -hmm. economy just got worse and worse, right? So then 2009, Bank of America buys Merrill Lynch. They canceled our entire program. So 32 of us walked in the next day to Pink Slips Um and that was the point in my life where I think I just woke up and said, the next person that's going to fire me is going to be me. 
you know, and, and that was my mindset of, okay, I'm going to be my own boss now. Um, and so I thought, okay, real estate, or maybe this, maybe that, um, I grew up in Orlando, so I was a big Magic fan. And uh, 2009, the Orlando Magic are in the NBA playoffs. They're in the finals playing the Lakers. And Grant, who is my fraternity brother, one of my best friends, called me and says, hey, my dad and I are driving up. We got floor seats to the NBA finals to watch, you know, Kobe and, and LeBron or and Dwight. Um, and he was like, do you want to come? And, yeah, I'm broke as all could be living at home. And I was like, no, but I'll meet you beforehand because I knew his dad would pay for everything. Yeah. And that was that his dad, his dad pulls up, he's driving a, I forget what car, Bentley or something at the time, talking about how the recession was the best thing that ever happened to the, his business because mortgage brokers and realtors and, and all of these people were looking for new opportunities. And then our clients were all still getting their social security checks every month. And so the clients didn't go away. Um, more and more people were retiring. And so he's pitching me on this and he had in college, but I was never, you know, as a 22 year old goofy tall at the time, heavy set, um, goofy white kid. I, I didn't see myself driving all over the hot state of Florida, knocking on doors. And that's when he mentioned it was July of 2009. He said, well, I've heard that there's some people in our industry that are starting to do this over the phone. Um, and so I said, oh, I could do that. Right. That's no different than, you know, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Like, I can sit here and, and call people. Boiler Room was already one of my favorite movies. And so I was like, I can do that. So I drove down to Vera Beach the next day, got my license. Um, and so that's why I said I didn't fall in love with that. But I feel, fell in love with the fact that business was still booming. Right. 2009 was not bad for insurance for anybody. Um, and the first couple of years were tough, you know, trying to figure out how to sell over the phone. It was at the time, all kitchen table, um, simplified issue. You know, we do almost exclusively final expense. So it was simplified issue, uh, products with direct mail leads. So he just gave me a bunch of old direct mail leads and, and said, you guys figure it out. Um, and so it was just Grant and I for the first couple of years and it took us a while. We had to find the right companies, um, I sound like my dad when I say like walking uphill both ways to school. We were using a yellow, one of those yellowing office phones that used to be white, but it turned yellow with a copper line. And I had it jerry-rigged with a splitter so I could have a recorder attached, um, you know, to it. Um, we'd record it. We'd download it to the one computer we have, burn it to a CD. Um, and then we would attach it to an application, handwrite the whole thing and, and send it to the insurance carriers. And that's how they first wow. let us do it. Um, obviously we've come a long way with it since then. Burnt um, CD attached to yeah. the paper applications. You had to read the whole thing, hip authorizations, everything. So we were selling for a company called unity financial at the time. And, um, they wanted to get into telesales and they didn't know what else to do. So they said, read the whole application, HIPAA, the whole <laughs> thing, get them to agree to do it. Say, you know, voice recording at the end. And we stapled the CD in a little sleeve to it. And then would send each application in. Guys, you don't know how fortunate you are if you come into the insurance industry. Like, so when I came in, it's 2013. And so the EAP, you know, had the EAP revolution had started. And right. uh, we were, we were, I would say we were, you know, halfway down. We had some carriers that had really aggressive attorneys at that point that were taking, you know, mother's maiden name signatures and uh, at least had started doing like email and tech email to signatures, not as much text and text started coming recently, but um, you still have some carriers that like can't get behind the mother's maiden name or security question e-cigs. And uh, it's crazy to me um, because then you have other carriers like even Aetna now, it's just like security question. That's it. 
Um, and, and then you have, then I'll have another carrot. that's just like a little carrot. It's like, we don't know, we don't know how they're interpreting that way. And I'm like, Hey, if Aetna's getting away with it, maybe the rest of you guys can figure out how to get away right. with it. You know? But um, yeah, that's crazy. So you, I mean, that's a real innovation. So there's two things that you said that just, uh, I didn't know. And I'm, uh, I'm really happy to know that's really intriguing that you interviewed at Bear Stearns and yeah. got hired right before well, you know, one of the largest, you know, companies down on wall street went under completely. I mean, it's when you go and watch the big short or watch any of those movies about that time margin call, you know, Bear Stearns is a, a big, you know, topic in there. It's one, they're one of the big players. So, um, and so that's crazy. And then number two, that you burnt a CD and sent it in with applications. I'd not heard that before. I mean, I've heard of some, you know, I heard some wild stuff about, you know, doing it that way. And, uh, and, you know, we're in, we're technologically evolving over time. I was talking to my guys this morning about, you know, going to a full call center solution and getting rid of, cause we have right now we have CRMs, um, you know, mixed with uh, we have voice over IP phones, but we actually came from running a large brick and mortar. So we get, a, we have, a, we still have brick phones on, on, they're not yellowing, they're black and they're really nice. They're polycom newer sets. They have yeah, some much capabilities, yeah. um, but you know, and we have them that, you know, the, the company that we use does record all of it to the cloud so we can download, you know, MP4s and all or MP3s and all that. Um, however, I was talking this morning and, you know, the people that are here think, oh, innovating, going to a whole new set of technologies is going to be such a pain in the ass. And I'm like, yeah, but the guy that comes in two years from now, when we've all gone through that and he's more efficient because of it, he's not going to know any different. And you no. are going to be the guy that walked uphill, uphill barefooted in the snow, you know, because you went through it and he didn't or she didn't. Uh, I, I see- bought it. We, we didn't do full CRM integration with all that until two years ago. And so until that point, we were just VoIP phones, everyone individual. And I was still pushing manually. We manually dialed every single lead until two years ago. And that's what's so crazy. And I, I get this all the time. People acting like they have to have all the technology figured out before they can sell. And I'm like, without revenue, you don't have a business. So if you got a cell phone and that's it, you can start calling and hell now there's probably applications on your, you can download on your phone and call through it and start recording the phone calls that way. Um, You know, the thing is like, yes, we, we do want to innovate over time and we want to do a better and better job, you know, being more and more efficient, but you got to start. If you can't start, you know, it's one thing if you're uh, like I saw recently, this Medicare agency, uh, you know, startup agency got Bain Capital to give them one hundred and fifty million dollars. I love these groups that get this VC backing because like they get to play technology and like we don't really have to make money for a while and we get to figure all this out. Meanwhile, people like me and you like we got to figure out how to make money to build on and finance ourselves. It's a different thing. So unless somebody just handed you $150 million to play with for a while, which is kind of crazy to me, uh, I feel like go find the guys that already built it from scratch and give them $150 million. (laughs) Don't build the guys that have no real business and have not built a business that, but we see it all the time. People can convince these groups to give them a lot. Um, Well, that's, that's crazy, James. So, um, so now you guys have, have gone through the full, you're using more of like, um, uh, like an actual call center solution, CRM integration. What, 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 I'm just curious what you guys use. Like, uh, do you have your own or? 
We, we do not yet. Um, that's on one of my to-do lists, right? Of all my free time, I want to build one. I don't know why, but um, we're yeah. using uh, vanilla soft currently. Yeah. Um, and that came out of necessity because until really the COVID stuff, I wasn't a big bully. And again, it shows what your point, we all get these, we just convince ourselves of things. We were talking about that before we started the call. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was convinced that I couldn't get telesales to work unless I could put my hand on you still. Yeah. And so I was from 2009 until 2019, it was brick and mortar only. You had to be within Bureau Beach. And so the reason I love following your story is some people are like, oh, you got to be in a big city to recruit a bunch of people. And I'm in Vero Beach, Florida, which is, you know, I guess I got to be politically correct on here, but I'm going to say anyways, it's like most people here got one foot in the grave already, you know? And so there isn't a huge pool to recruit from and, and Tupelo, you know, I know is not, not getting mentioned on the global news every night. Um, but there was plenty of people that needed opportunity. So we did all brick and mortar. So when we decided we needed to go remote that we still had, the agency still had some field agents running. And so we didn't want them to, to miss out on it. And so we couldn't use the, the internal phone system. So we had to switch overnight. And so that was the easy plug and play method. And out of that came a lot of really great um, innovations that we've had as far as like lead management goes and, and you know, speed to lead and being able to be more efficient on that side. Um, so a lot of times innovation comes out of necessity, you know? Yeah, well, that's great. That's great. So, um, yeah, we, in uh, talking about that, like recruiting from a, a small pool that in some ways can be advantaged, you know, as I'm thinking about it, because if you live in Tampa, you know, um, they're, they're all stealing each other's agents, you know, you, right. got, you got a Merrill and you got all these TPAs and insurance companies and you have, um, you know, Medicare FAQ and senior healthcare direct. And, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of final expense groups down there. There's a bunch of healthcare solutions offices. Like there's so many different ones, but they can all kind of steal from each other, you know, whereas you and me aren't doing that. We're kind of creating from scratch. Well, the good thing about creating from scratch versus stealing from another is why are they leaving the other office? Right. We're not making a lot of money there. Okay. Well, maybe there's a problem with that person. Whereas I get to build them from scratch. So I'm training them my way from the get go. Um, and so, and there's failure in that too. Like there's just some people that do not have the aptitude or the appetite ethic, yeah. or yeah, they, they can't keep up with the, the you know, the, the self-paced, you know, concept there. And we try to take guesswork out of it. And I'm sure you guys do too, but you still got to have the guy that, that stays on the phones and, and keeps his head up, you know? Um, and, and so that there's still failure there, but when you train them your way from the get go, they don't, they're not bringing over misnomers or misconceptions. I think that's huge. So, well, man, uh, that's, that's some, some, you know, really high quality perspective, I think of, you know, where you started interview. It's a good story. Uh, you definitely need to write it in a bio. <laughs> I know. Or I have do. somebody do it because it is. I'll, maybe I'll have you write it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will. Apparently I'm a good writer, Bradley. Yeah. Says, so, uh, but you know, that, that's a, that's just really cool. So, uh, uh, you could definitely turn it into a damn book um, you know, at this point because the, the uh, Landon, Landon, look, Landon's always telling me write a book, write a book. Coach Burr used to tell me, and I'm like, oh, that's well, the, writing the a bio is hard enough. I don't want to write a book about myself. So. Bear Stearns to burning CDs to basically building 
you know, there were other people doing it simultaneously, but it's not like you had somebody to learn it from. You had to kind of carve it out and innovate it. And, um, and it's a good story, man. It's a really good story. I mean, when we came in, you know, we were, we were innovating a lot too. You know, we had uh, came into uh, the similar kind of concept. Your Grant's dad was involved. My dad was directly involved in the business, but he was, uh, uh, and I'm not saying Grant's dad is a, a dinosaur. My dad, I'll say it's about my dad. My dad was a dinosaur. So he was doing uh, things. There were e-apps coming out, but he was submitting paper, Medicare supplements, and, you know, didn't want to help with drug plans, didn't sell a whole lot of anything else. Maybe one in 15 people we talked to might have, he might have wrote a final expense policy on. Um, right. And, and, and was just kind of, and he built a decent income doing it that way. But I came in and there was just tremendous opportunity. He was also like, don't recruit, don't hire anybody else. Don't tell anybody else what you're doing. <laughs> you know, it's like a little cocoon, you know, like protect. Tupelo is always so big. You got, yeah, you got to be Tupelo's guy, always yeah. so big. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're uh, you know, he was sitting there with his, uh, you know, probably two, you know, $250,000 income. But, you know, he built it from scratch. So to him, it's like, it's, you know, it's just different. I came into it a little bit different. I saw him go from, from zero to that. And so I was thinking, well, shoot, you know, if somebody can go from zero to that. Uh, and I think it's a real shame because there's a lot of people with such a limited belief system because their dad maybe worked his whole life, worked his ass off and made 50 or $60,000 a year. I got to see somebody go zero to 350 with a GED. So I was thinking, oh, okay, so I can do that. And then when I got into it and I knew a little more about technology and started seeing the, the like how rapidly the process could be replicated and started seeing some of the guys like you that were innovating the telesales stuff already, I was like, no, wait a minute, this can be done way more rapidly. Um, we could build, you know, actual cultures around it. Um, and that's what we've done. That's what you've done. And it's a, it's a great story. Um, so it definitely needs to be written. Well, I don't, I'm not going to take a whole lot more of your time. Uh, I, I think, uh, I think I've got what I want because I think the perspective of what you've done is something everyone needs to hear. And if people wanted to reach out to you or, or learn more about the SLS opportunity or James Whitley and how you could help, what's the best way? Um, I'm on all social media platforms. I'm James Whitley on Facebook, Instagram. Um, well, not on all, I guess I, I never got into, uh, TikTok. Um, but, uh, apparently that's, that's, I saw you on clubhouse though. I couldn't stay on clubhouse. I, I tried you, you all brought me in there and I sat there and I tried to do it. And, you know, it's too, and I, it's too time consuming. I, I had, yeah. I ended up having to get off cause I was spending so much time there. You know, you, you, you felt it was like, it's like being on a phone call and, and, but it's like being on a phone call with all your friends and colleagues. So you feel awkward, like trying to hang up on them. Right. Uh, <laughs> there were times where I would just dip out of a conversation just in, but well, I know you're active on Instagram and Facebook. So definitely reach out to uh, James on Instagram and Facebook. And, yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll share this, you know, I, I tried the, the clubhouse and Instagram and, and trying, we were talking about it and in, in, I think on Instagram, I tried to be, Cody Askins, or I tried to be, you know, if, if anyone knows like JD Frost, like, you know, I tried to be these people that sat and talked to their phones all day and put up these posts. Um, don't build a new building with automatic lights. Just went off. But, um, <laughs> but uh, there, there's more than one way to scale and more than one way to do it. So I was trying to be Justin Brock, right? I was trying to have this massive online presence and, and do all this stuff it's just not me. Like it's a forced thing for me. Um, and so what's unique is you said it too, everybody we've recruited here and I've got about 60 agents just across the hall here for me. 
um, that I run every day. All of them were unlicensed before they came, right? And so taking somebody from a nine to five, whether they worked at, at KFC or, you know, um, you know, sold cars or did whatever, nobody was in insurance. Um, and, and we sell, you know, like I said, we'll do over 30 million this year. We've got remote agents and stuff too now. But all of that came from word of mouth. So again, you don't need a lot of money. I didn't, I didn't run huge Indeed ads. I didn't do these huge social media presences. It just wasn't me. But what was me was, was building relationships with my agents and taking somebody that never made more than 20,000, helping them make six figures. And they will tell everybody they know. Mm-hmm. And it's not a, hey, we're forcing you to recruit. It's just like, yeah. hey, Sarah, like, your job sucks. Like, look at the money I'm making. Like, you got to come do what I'm doing. And they're just sharing the opportunity because it changed their life. Um, And so I I try and stay active and do what I can, but I'm more the guy that just watches everyone's stories and comments and and doesn't post a whole lot. So just for anyone out there, you don't have to try and duplicate what everyone's doing. Facebook has made me think everybody's got to run their own Facebook group and do this and do that. But, you know, networking and meeting people and doing all that. I mean, that's how we scale to, to what we've been able to do. Um, and you know, that's what worked for us. And, and so that's why I'm always appreciative to get invited on this stuff. Cause that's the only way I get, I get out there in social media land. So, well, that's, that's also a great perspective because, you know, we see a lot of people that think they see what we do and they try to do what we do. And uh, a lot of times if they're individual agents really doing what we do is not going to get them in front of more prospects. Um, you know, it might help them build a team, but I can tell you that uh, I was talking to Bradley Flowers that runs the Insurance Guys podcast uh, for yet a couple of days ago. And um, we we're talking about like, he doesn't really make a whole lot of money from the Insurance Guys podcast. It's almost more of a, it's almost like his therapy thing, you know, but he's right. building an agency on the side and it's just his way of communicating with other people that are doing things at the same level. And it's like, you're building, you have a 60 man team there that you're, you know, working with. Um, and you know, in doing so, you need to communicate with other guys that are doing that because sometimes you can, if you're communicating with the guys working with you, they're not necessarily dealing with the same problems you're dealing with. Um, but, you know, also what you're talking about, word of mouth is how we hire. So we don't have 60. We're at our local agency. We have 22 employees and people always ask me, how do you, how do you hire? How do you hire? Most of these people are one or two people shops. And I'm like, well, you know, once you get to three or four or five and you're, you know, that might be hard. That's probably the hardest part. And then, but then if you create the opportunity and the culture and the atmosphere for those three or four or five, it grows organically. I don't have to hire. They bring me people. I'm like, Hey, we need somebody to do this. And then they all start looking, you know, I mean, I'm, I might post the free LinkedIn thing. I've got one graphic designer from it. That's awesome. That came through that, but everybody else we've gotten has really been word of mouth. Yeah. So, you know, that's uh, so it's completely, uh, completely true. So definitely, uh, go follow James and, uh, and and reach out to him if you have questions about SLS, their opportunity or scaling. He's a nice dude and he'll share information with you. So check him out. Yeah, Appreciate any questions. Hey, right, guys.